0: Flushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. New customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white open long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Corny America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. wherever books are sold starting July 1st. And my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at ZimbyOwens.com, but really you're here to learn more about the authors and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at ZcastNetwork.com and definitely check out those shows as well. I hope you'll all check out the all-new Zibby Mag, Z-I-B-B-Y-M-A-G, the literary lifestyle destination with essays, book news, a lit lifestyle feature, and even some classes. Check it out, zibbymag.com. Jordan Salama is the author of Every Day the River Changes, Four Weeks Down the Magdalena. And let me just say from the outset that if there is a young writer who you should follow who has a huge career ahead of him it is this guy jordan is a writer and journalist whose work has appeared in national geographic magazine the new york times scientific american smithsonian and more His first book, Every Day the River Changes, Four Weeks Down the Magdalena, chronicles his journey down the greatest river in Colombia. Upon its publication in November 2021, it was named a Kirkus Review's Best Book of 2021 and a Top Travel Book of the Season by the New York Times Book Review. A 2019 graduate of Princeton University, he lives in New York 2019. When I'm recording this, it is 2022 and he has already accomplished all of this. I was ridiculously impressed by him. And if I could pick a star to follow, it would be his. Welcome, Jordan. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It's so fun to have you.
3: Thanks for having me.
2: I am so impressed with you for so many reasons. I know you and I connected what a year ago at this point. Like that. <laughs> it was so long ago. Not only was your book beautifully written and amazing, and I learned so much um, that I didn't know about the whole region, and you know, it's it was amazing. But your National Geographic articles are so awesome. You are just I I feel like you are gonna win every big award in the journalism space, travelog, everything. Like, I don't know. I'm just I, know you know, I, bad, but- I would I would pin my uh you know, in the author stock market, I would I would like go long on on your stock.
3: <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that.
2: Wait, so let's start, let's start a little bit with the book and tell, tell listeners about how it came out of how, well, start with the first trip from Princeton when you went down there and then when you went back and how it became a book on the Magdalene River and just the whole thing.
3: Sure, definitely. So this book started out as my college thesis and then was kind of expanded and adapted to become what is today Everyday the River Changes. And it started out with the idea kind of was planted when I had a chance to go to Colombia for the first time in 2016. I was a freshman in college. I'd never traveled alone by myself, you know, before to another country. And of course, Colombia as a country, kind of in the United States, conjures up these preconceptions, preconceived notions of violence of war. And everybody was terrified for me. Everybody thought that I was going to basically be yeah. kidnapped yeah. or killed going to Colombia. It was pre-peace deal. And, and everybody I told about this had some kind of negative reaction, except for one person. And this was uh, my childhood piano teacher, who then had become a family friend. I'd long stopped taking piano lessons. She said to me, oh my God, this is amazing. You can stay with my grandmother and she'll take care of you. And I'm thinking this like young, sprightly grandmother (laughs) who didn't have me there. And, you know, loved this woman. She was a wonderful, wonderful person. She was 96 years old, bedridden. Um, She had an aide in the house. And the only thing that she had kind of control over me was that she would lock the door with a key at 7 p.m. and not let me leave after the sun went down because this was her way of kind of keeping me safe. Now, what happened, that meant that I was, I had nothing to do. I didn't bring a phone in 2016 to Columbia because people told me people would steal my phone. Now, this is all, again, Tells you how overblown these things are. And of course, when thinking about traveling and security and everything, like there's always a measured approach that should be done. But I went kind of blind and taking people's a bit crazy advice. And I didn't bring a phone. I didn't have a computer. I didn't have internet. Like I just had my notebook and a pen and I started writing down the things that, that happened to me during the days when I was out and about kind of traveling around the country or in the city of Kali where, where she lived. And it turned out that those notes actually really helped me when it came time for me to pick an idea for my senior thesis to write this, uh, you know, this like kind of long project. Um, And everybody I met talked about the Magdalena River as this like magical place to understand Colombia. And of course, as somebody who just came from this experience of misunderstanding of Colombia, I wanted to understand this vastly diverse and beautiful country that I came to be very interested in. And so I decided to go back and travel the entire length of this river from source to sea and live with the people who live along its banks. And that's the book, Every Day the River Changes.
2: Oh my gosh. And now I guess it's being assigned
3: to everybody at Princeton this year. Which is which is also that's an amazing development and I couldn't believe it when it happened. <laughs> Basically, they have this thing called the pre-read. It's kind of like a book club for all the incoming undergraduates to come. And usually they pick like, you know, books by famous people or important people or books that are in like the national conversation. My book is not I'm not that. I'm 25. Like this is totally what came as a shock. But I think what they were interested in is that this book tells the story of a young person's journey down a river, not just a journey down a river kind of physically, but also figuratively in the sense of like an academic development from start to finish, how a project comes together like this. And so I'm going to be in Princeton for a little while this fall uh, talking with students about the book. And I, I'm really excited because it's just going to be a wonderful opportunity because that's where the book was born. So it's, um, it's cool to be able to go back. That is amazing.
2: And I read that you hand wrote all of these, obviously you didn't have your computer there. So you had to literally like have scraps and that you always do that for all of your projects that you handwrite everything, even, even when you do have access to all of that equipment. Yeah.
3: it's, It's one of the ways that I work. It's like, I think maybe a kind of weird thing, but I try to write well, definitely all my notes by hand. And then a lot of the drafts of, of stuff I, I write by hand too. And so, um, my college roommates, for example, will, will remember that I was writing my thesis on scraps of like old paper, like on the back of, of just random pieces of paper. And I had them, I don't know if I still have them. I should probably look, but that was the beginnings of this book, which is kind of crazy.
2: You should do like a, like an, uh, one of those Shutterfly albums, or something, you know, with like all pictures of all of the things, and with all of next to the pictures that you have of the region. You know. Oh,
3: that's such a good idea! Or even like pictures of the the writing. Yep. The pictures of the book. Yeah. To show like the differences between the paragraphs and things like that. Yeah, that too. I wonder that how too. much has yeah has as uh, you know kind of carried over.
2: Yeah, huh. it's almost like a behind the scenes. Actually, you could do a whole thing on the process. You know, just like the writing
3: process yeah. in general. Yeah, that's a good TikTok.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've now
3: gotten into TikTok apparently as, as everybody my age has to. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to find an audience on TikTok. And so it's been interesting to say the least.
2: No, but you're good. You're really good. I was analyzing your Instagram feed and... I was like, what is, he? this is great because you have quotes from your book that you've written, quotes from articles you've written, but then you have reels, right? You have like the reel about Prince." And I was, cause I'm, I have a really hard time with reels and I'm like, I know I have to get better at reels and everything. I don't know. It's a great mix where you, I don't know, you engage the the reader, you give just enough of a preview of some of the characters you meet along the way so that it almost feels like you're reading a book when you're on your account versus just self-promotional whatever. Like you get something from it, you learn from it, so.
3: Yeah, I mean, and the kind of goal of that or the idea behind that is that this is at its heart, I mean, this is a book about a river in a country that a lot of people don't know about. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of been the challenge here is how to get people excited about a book that takes place in a place that maybe they didn't realize they were interested in. But once they start reading the book, they realize it's so much more than an analysis of, a, of kind of maybe quote unquote obscure place. It is a book about humanity and mm-hmm. people who live in certain kinds of worlds and communities and are working really hard to bring those kinds of those communities out of conflict or chaos or strife or whatever. And I think a lot of parallels can be drawn to life here because it is a book about the universal human experience, though it takes place in maybe a place that's far off in our imaginations. And so what I wanted to do with those kinds of posts and continue to do with kind of all the stories that I write is show those human characters and then hope that people will um, you know, take something away from it and connect with the people who I connected with because I, at the end of the day, am that bridge between the reader and the place that they don't really have any experience with. Yes. In reality, that was my own, my own journey too was I didn't have any experience with this place and I came over a lot of time to have an experience with this place and now I want to share that with people.
2: But now you've learned how to do it so you can replicate the model. Right now you're taking okay. trains across <laughs> the entire country and doing the same thing internally, which is fascinating. Like that's a really, I mean, I can just see you like, it's almost like you're unspooling these mats. Right. And then like, you know, scampering like a <laughs> you know a head to like meet all the people and then like rolling out another mat and then like meeting the people, you know?
3: Yeah. I like that metaphor. I mean, I, there's a lot of mats to unspool in, in my life, I think, because I come from this, first of all, I come from this family that I was born and raised in like the New York suburbs, which is boring. If you think, about it, but my family comes from all over the world. Like my dad's family are Syrian Jews who went to Argentina and then came to the United States. My mom was born in Baghdad and escaped persecution when she was seven years old, came to Long Island. Like I grew up in this world in New York of like languages and, and histories and like, uh, you know, kind of these weird and obscure traditions. And they start, I started asking questions about them when I, as I got older. And, and as now, if you look at the kinds of things that I write, both the book and in my pieces for national geographic and at the New York times and other, and other outlets, it's like, you can kind of look back into my own history, my own life and say, Oh, that's why he's interested in that. That makes sense because I don't know why am I interested in trade routes? Because I had a great 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 grandfather who was a you know a, a, on the Silk Road with a caravan of a thousand camels, and my grandma used to tell me stories about him when I was a kid. Like I'm really interested in the Silk Road. I'm interested in traveling salespeople, things like that. So journeys that connect disparate places and peoples and cultures. It's all. It all has a source, and I'm just kind of like picking the different threads now. And I think yeah. for my whole life, I'm just going to be unspooling those different mats or yarns or whatever you want to call it.
2: Oh my gosh, I loved your description of the borough in Colombia. Tell tell me more about that.
3: Yes. So the Biblioburo is a school teacher named Luis Soriano who started about 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago now. Actually, it's been a long time. Delivering books on a donkey to his, child, his school you know, students who live in rural areas and don't have access to libraries of their own and can't read at their own houses. So he learned when he was you know, kind of a young teacher just starting out that the reason why his, his students weren't progressing in reading was because they didn't have the chance to practice at home because they didn't have books in their houses. And they also didn't have places to go nearby because they had to walk really far to get to the school where the books were. So he decided he was going to bring the books to them. And because it's such a rural, hard-to-get-to area, he travels with these two uh, donkeys Alpha and Beto for Alphabeto and goes through the countryside with these books on these donkeys. And it's kind of this magical realism, real life story of this literally superhero who has made, lifted up a whole community with literacy and stories. And he's just an amazing person.
2: Wow. So wild. I feel like you did a lot to dispel the common Misperceptions, some accurate, some completely inaccurate about Colombia and how it's all drug cartels and cocaine. And, you know, one of your scenes in the beginning is wondering what the fishing boats were. And then hearing all these stories about potential executions coming and what the boats do and how they're really ferrying cocaine in the middle of the night and all of this, all of these things. And yet, as you go through the country and meet all these people, you're like, well, this is not so bad. You know, tell me about what it's like for the people when you have a, a, this mis not misguided, but when one thing about a country is so magnified as, as how do you then get rid of that, sort of discard that and, 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 and peel the onion, if you will, and find the real people and the real stories. And what do they think about, you know, it's like when I used to travel, when I was a teenager and I like went to France and everybody was like, oh, you're an American. That means like you wear a fanny pack and jeans. And, you know, I mean? I'm like, well, I don't wear a fanny pack. I'm not a terrible American. Like I'm, I'm amazing. You know? <laughs> yeah. um, tell me a little bit about that and these cultural stereotypes.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, every country has a, has cultural stereotypes that it suffers from, right? And and Colombia is is no exception. I mean, Narcos alone, just that show on Netflix, yeah. has dispelled so many negative perceptions about this place. And um, you know, it's it would be naive to say that this is a country without problems, right? This is a perfect place, so safe, like well, it's, you know, you know, it's a fantastic paradise. No, that's not the case at all. But it's also not a you know completely blood-ridden disaster for every single person who goes there or lives there obviously the truth is always as always somewhere in the middle and what this book tries to do is not only give the perspective of the outside traveler me you know i did not I, i mean i was very kind of cautious about the way i was going about this trip i didn't feel kind of unsafe at all during the time i was i was traveling down the river but also kind of digging deep into the life experiences of people who actually live there and go through life in these places day to day. And in those cases, sometimes, you know, it's all fine. And sometimes as in the case with this one um, anthropologist who I went into the Andes with, um, it could, you know, be deadly, very deadly. His name was Luis Manuel Salamanca and he was murdered a year after I met him. So there's a perfect example of how, you know, that this kind of specter of of war and post-conflict trauma and violence and kind of continuing challenge to fix security issues in a very complicated place were definitely surrounding me. And I was finding out about those things in some ways the hard way, but by no means is it kind of a a one-sided story or or, a a universal situation in in any of these cases. It's it's just different for everybody. And that's what I tried to show in this book through anecdotes and and lived experiences of regular people.
0: Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to Bluenile.com. That's Bluenile.com.
1: Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com
2: I also love how you write about traveling alone is the, is in part, not necessarily completely alone, but traveling into these new places and new territories is also this way of connection for you. And you talked about the pandemic and, um, the isolation of that and wanting to connect and yet being able to do so with, with complete strangers and how that in and of itself is transformative.
3: Yeah. It's interesting because I think now, if it would have been possible for me to do this in the pandemic, something like this in the pandemic, and I I still don't think so, um, I was staying in people's houses. Like, I don't, I don't know how I would feel about it. I don't know how they would feel about it. I haven't done a long journey like this since, uh, the pandemic started. So it's something we'll see. But in general, I think that when doing these reporting trips, traveling alone for me is the most social thing possible Mm -hmm. because when you travel with one other person or two other people or whatever, however many other people you're so wrapped up in the dynamic of the group that you're not, you don't have an outward look to, the place or the people where you're traveling. And for a journalist or a reporter, it's so important to have those kind of that self-awareness, that awareness of the place and what's going on there and the context that traveling with other people just wouldn't work. And I mean, a lot of that just comes from the conversations you have. Like people are more, it's, it's easier to approach people if you're by yourself mm-hmm. and a lot of people actually want to help you when you're by yourself, which opens up kind of other uh, you know kinds of conversations as well.
2: Interesting. How do you take that curiosity and open the door to run out and get lunch or something? Like when you're in your day-to-day life, um, how often are you putting on that sort of reporter journalist hat and wondering about people and dipping into their stories? Like, are you the type of person who finds out everything about the guy behind the counter at the local deli?
3: Too much, too much. My family and friends will tell you too much that every time I go anywhere, and someone says something that is slightly interesting to me, kind of everything else goes away and I have to ask questions and learn more. One example of this is that there's this Middle Eastern, like an Iraqi cafe restaurant uh, in Yonkers near where I grew up. And, um, and you know, for a long time, there was this man who would sit in the corner booth just having tea and... After a while, I just really, really, really wanted to talk to him. And so we kind of struck up conversations. I wrote about this in the New York Times. It was kind of a friendship across that spanned generations. And it became this really beautiful thing. But I I went up to him. Like, he didn't want to be bothered, I don't think, by me in the first. I don't know. I, I, I didn't asking, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, yeah, yes. I think that we could... I, I like to say, and with the pandemic, this is definitely the case. It's like travel writing doesn't have to be something that you do far away. You can do it wherever you live. And you don't have to even write about it. You can do, you can like kind of uh, uh, embody these, this spirit in your everyday life by learning about the people who live in your neighborhood or in a neighborhood near you or in a city near you, especially in a place like New York. My God, the city is gigantic and you have worlds and worlds and worlds in one place. It's amazing. Like you could just do these kinds of stories nearby. And in fact, when I couldn't travel because of the pandemic, I started doing a lot of work in Queens. And instead of using a river in a country as kind of a connecting thread, I used a street, Roosevelt Avenue in Jackson Heights. And for a summer, I just walked up and down Roosevelt Avenue. Avenue and talk to the people who live and work along this, this amazingly diverse, linguistically diverse uh, street, and wrote this piece that if you look at it, it's kind of like a micro version of Every Day the River Changes, mm-hmm. but it's like a short digital article on National Geographic um, and, and tries to tell the story of a place through this one connecting thread. So you can do it in, wherever you are. I don't even necessarily think you have to travel for it.
2: So what are you finding? Right, I mean, you've talked to more people in from so many different backgrounds and places, and here, and you just love story, right? Which, of course, we all are drawn to story, and we want to know. Um, you know, I could read a memoir every single day, right? And yours is like almost like a collect, right? It's a collection, it's shining the light on like lots of people yeah. all over the place. And so, um, what are you? What are you finding about people in general? I know it's such a sweeping question, but um, are you? bowled over by kindness are you um, finding that people are more different than we all think are you finding that and at the base of it we're all just so alike like what are you what is your general thesis now of, of people
3: <laughs> yeah well first of all one thing just to note about the book is that it is the kind of book where you can pick it up read a chapter put it down and then like yes. leave it for months even if you wanted to and then pick it up start right where you left off and you don't have to worry about like that. You don't have to read it in order, I don't think. No, it's better if you read it in order. What did I take away from about people? I'm going to steal from the Biblioburo actually, the, uh, this quote from Luis Soriano, he, something he told me once, which is that the world is made of good people. And I think that so often in this time now where everything seems so bleak and awful and, and just like bad news after bad news after bad news, it's easy to think that all of these bad people are everywhere. But the truth is that the vast majority of people are kind and nice and will take you in and will be hospitable and will be friends. Um, that is not mutually exclusive with the fact that we are all different and all have different stories and that that should be celebrated. I like to believe most people are kind and good, but... I think so. I think that when it seems like ordinary people are not kind and good at heart, it's because they're misguided in some way by somebody else who is has power over them and is... Not have good intentions
2: or mental illness.
3: I feel like, or mental, it. right?
2: Yeah, or they've had so much bad stuff happen to them. Or that like, I, I feel like people who have had all this abuse, and I mean, some people fine, they still overcome it, but I don't know. Some, some are seem it seems hard to overcome some things, but maybe not all things. But I don't know. This is obviously way too generalization. So where are you, what is your ultimate goal? Is it, is it a Pulitzer prize? Is it like to go to every corner of the earth? Is it to, you know, write the, what What gets you super excited and and in the long, long term, like 30 years from
3: now? Yeah. People have been asking me this question a lot recently, like just kind of. Sorry.
2: It, I hate asking. No,
3: people ask no, 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 I no, I no, not, you. not in interviews. I mean, like friends, I mean, just like generally in life, people have been like, Oh, so you know, do you have like something you're working towards? And the truth is maybe this sounds like not good to say, but I just kind of want to keep doing what I'm doing now. And if I could find a way to do this where I can live well from it, which is the biggest challenge for any writer, right? Like I will do it for as long as I can find these stories and share them with the world. I have certain grand plans that are in the short term. Like I want to go to Iraq where my mom was born and I want to be the first person in my family to go back after they left 50 years ago, like things like that. But those are individual ideas of like stories or even books or whatever. Like I I have those ideas, but I don't know if you come look for me in 30 years and I'm still writing these kinds of books and articles, then uh, I'll be a happy, happy guy.
2: That's awesome. I love that. And aside from Iraq, next destinations on your wish list?
3: I want to go to my brother's actually going to Peru this summer. He's doing something in kind of a similar way. Uh, Now he's in he's in college and he has a chance to do a research project abroad. And so I'm excited for him. And he's piqued my interest in Peru. And also, I want to explore more of the United States, that train journey which yep. I just wrote about in an article that came out this week for Nat Geo, you know, finding peace on a 72-hour train across America was great. But I looked out the window and so much of it was like, oh, I want to get off here and I want to talk to people in this town. And so maybe something across the United States is next.
2: I wonder if you shouldn't like team up with, you know, amazing documentary film people and, yeah. you know, somebody like Jimmy Chin and Chai Vasarely who, you know, are like a, a, an awesome. And then like, so that people who are not, Anyway, maybe if people could get to know you that way. Maybe that would be a way in to all of your
3: stories. If anybody listening to this and wants partner <laughs> up with me, this is the thing: is like I do want to go bigger with my stories. That is a goal that I have. Is like I'm realizing it's sad people don't read that much, and I want to find new ways to get yep. my written stories. And I'm talking more about essays and and art and like shorter stuff now because people are inundated with content rather than books. I like how to get those kinds of stories to an audience of people my age, for example, who just don't subscribe to like magazines, for example, or like, just don't read that much. And the answer is probably podcasts and documentaries and things because stories are stories and can be told them in different ways, but it's hard to do that all by myself. And I've yet to find the right kind of team to do it with me. So I'm looking.
2: Okay. I'm going to try to help. I'm going to see, you, you know, because really what you need to do is that you should get all of these pieces starting to be optioned.
3: Like in, in Hollywood.
2: Yeah, like you should take that story from Nat Geo and, and sell it into a movie. It would be a great movie.
3: You the know train I mean? Across the United States? Yeah. Interesting. Why do you think it would be a good movie? Now I'm asking you. Why? Sorry. I <laughs> yeah. think it
2: would be a good movie because that's something I would never do, right? I'm not going to have the time to do that. It's something that I'm totally curious about. It's all the stories of the people, but it's really going to be the story about you right? Like you're going to have stuff going on. And so it's why people, why you want to watch a movie about someone climbing a mountain because people are going through something. You're learning something you're watching, you're learning about the country. Like for right now, when I feel like the country is so divided and we're in such a bleak moment for you to sort of literally blaze a trail through the center of the nation and find what unites us, I find extremely exciting. And I feel like you could position that as as something like to band us all together and bring back this sort of spirit and show in all of your moments. And then maybe there's some through line, like you working through something with your family. I don't know. I I just feel like it would be so beautiful to watch.
3: And I don't know. I think it'd be really cool. Wow. Thanks. Yeah, that's that sounds great to me. I mean right? it, it would be a visually beautiful thing for sure. Yeah. I mean, that ride was just spectacular, the kinds of scenery.
2: Well, I guess you um, could start by turning the whole train ride into a book. That could be
3: the first thing if you want that's it. True. Or if continue that's to ride trains across the United States and, yeah. and find stories of people because trains are a through line. So here's something I like about trains and the rivers are the same way. Yep. is that when I don't know. I guess maybe at all ages, but I feel like, especially when you're like in your twenties and just like in college or graduating college, you think a lot about where you're going yeah. and like, you're always thinking about plans for the future, whatever. Yeah. And trains, you don't have to worry about where you're going. You can yeah. just sit there. It has a schedule. It has a set amount of time yeah. and just like a river, which is why I did a story about a river when I was, had to do a thesis. Like yeah. I yeah. wanted to write something where the structure was kind of just laid out for me. And on a river, you yeah. don't have to worry about the direction. Yeah. It all kind of you know, lays itself out for you. Yeah. Calming in the time when nothing
2: is something more like, you know, yeah. Something like what you're saying, all going the same direction or tracks a journey of a country. Uh, anyway, whatever you, anyway, I'm, you, I'm, you, you're good at this. You're, I mean, you know, I'm sure you could turn whatever, but I, I do think that might be a, a piece for you to, to focus on, to, to help you scale it all not that you need help. I mean, obviously you're this amazing journalist for Ned. No, no,
3: I need help. I need help because it's, it's, it's again, like I said, hard to bring it out into the world in a way that is big yeah, and it doesn't feel like it's just an article that the people are going to forget about after three days. And that's no,
2: it. you should be optioning. You should, you should, you should also team up with like an, an agent who is in that world more.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm going to introduce you to my agent who, but I'm, I'm, I don't do any film stuff, but he's like really good at selling articles and stories. And
3: you probably have mm-hmm. an agent already, but I have a literary agent who's amazing and I thank him for every day for all that he's done for me and but I mean you know we we are always interested in in partnering with others to to make things happen on a bigger scale. Yeah,
2: more on this after after cool. the break. Right. <laughs> anyway, oh gosh, now I'm late again. Okay, Jordan, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited about you. I I really am. I feel like you embody the type of like literary meets journalistic Talent that I hope that there's so many more of you out there, people like you, who will uh, document our world and help us all
3: see things in a new way, and by doing so, help all of us grow. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you, especially. And I look forward <laughs> to reading your book, which I got in the mail yesterday. So Thank I can't you. wait. Me it's really exciting. You'll
2: know a lot about me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Take Thanks. care. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books.